listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Good morning. So John Gottman, who is the guru of really research on relationships, he has kind of boiled down our responses to conflict or to being confronted into four different categories. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna share them with you and you see if you can identify with any of these. I'm not gonna call you out, but just see if you identify. So one of our common responses when we are confronted is criticism. We, we shift the focus from us and we say, well, you are this, you're this, you're this. And we, we all, it typically starts with you and we're, we're pointing out the flaws in another person. Another common response is contempt. This is the worst of the four and it is where we use zingers with the intent to wound. You all know that thing you could say that could get to the heart and cause pain in another person? That's contempt. It's upping ourselves and sending a zinger to wound the other person. The next one is defensiveness. So this happens when we're confronted and we don't like how that feels. I don't know about y'all, I don't love confrontation. It's not my favorite thing. And when we're confronted, we kind of deflect it away with like, yeah, but they, yeah, but I, yeah, but you, you know, and we just kind of like flip it around on the person or, or deflect it away to something else. And then there's stonewalling. This is where we shut down kind of in order to punish the other person. This is your silent treatment. Like, I'm not gonna say anything. I'm just gonna punish you till you come groveling to me, right? I'm just shutting down. So these are the four and our, our responses typically kind of when we don't respond in a healthy way, they, they fall into one of these four categories. Um, and as kids, we learn to use these. We learn from a very young age how to get ourselves out of those uncomfortable conf- confrontation situations, right? I asked one of our boys, I said, uh, I said, but what, out of these four, which one do you think that kids most likely fall into or how they respond? And he said, oh, defensiveness for sure. And he, we hear this in kids like, well, he made me do it. It's her fault. I didn't mean to. You didn't mean to, right? I didn't mean to. Uh, why doesn't he ever get in trouble? It's not my fault. Have you heard this in your house? We maybe have a few times, right, boys in the Taylor house. Uh, so we, we, they tend to fall into this because I don't like how this feels. I don't want it to be me. I'm gonna deflect it. It's gonna deflect away from me. And we get really, really good at weaseling our way out of those uncomfortable situations. Well. One of the concerning pieces of defensiveness is that we get so good at it, we have a lot of practice, uh, that we bring it then into our adult relationships. But even more concerning than that, out of the four that Gottman um, boiled us down, our unhealthy responses to confrontation or conflict, the one we use the most with God is defensiveness. When he, when the Holy Spirit convicts or confronts us, we don't wanna own it. We want to deflect it away. We wanna say things like, well, yeah, but did you see what he did? I'm not that bad. Or, but I only did it because of what she did. You know, or if they hadn't done this, I wouldn't have had to do this. And we just want to believe so much that our actions or inactions 
we're justified. And we really want God to be okay with that too. Is it just me? Have y'all done this? We, we tend to want to somehow make it okay. So we're gonna dive into this story today in scripture. And I want you to keep this theme of defensiveness kind of in your mind as we read this and we'll kind of process that. So we're in John 8 and it's verses one through 11. It says, while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses, uh, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Strange response. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. We're gonna kind of pull apart some of this, this story that we've heard probably all our lives because I think there's some key points that if we don't understand what they would have understood, we will miss the richness of this story. So we see the first thing here is that these teachers of the law, so the scribes and the Pharisees, they bring this woman who they caught in the act of adultery to Jesus because Jesus was ruffling feathers in the church community. All right, Jesus was coming with a message that sounded different than the scribes and Pharisees. He was just making them uncomfortable and they were not so thrilled about this. And they really, like if we could just get him off the scene, we can go back to traditionalism. You know, like this would be great, just how things are, very predictable. And, and we're, we're in charge and he's not. That's kind of how they liked it. And so they are trying to find something to pin him on so that they can remove him from the scene. So they bring this woman to him and they, they in almost a taunting way, say to him, now the law, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And they, they says they said this to test him. <clears throat> and here's what they were thinking. There are only two ways Jesus can go with this. He either is gonna say, yep, let's stone her or he's gonna say, nope, don't stone her. They're like, there's only two options here and we can get him either way. Here's what they were thinking. If he agreed with the law of Moses, cause they said the law, Moses command us to stone. If he agreed with the law of Moses and said the sentence of stoning should be carried out, they would catch him on going against what he had been teaching about forgiveness and grace and welcoming sinners into his ministry. They would say, well, what you're teaching doesn't match what you just said. You just you know, condemned her to death and you had us stone her. It doesn't match up, you're out of here. They also could accuse him before the Roman governor as taking on judicial power that he did not have. And so they thought if he says, if he says stoner, 
then we can catch him on this and say, well, your message and what you just said don't match up. Plus you're taking on some authority, it's not yours, we got you. On the other hand, if he told them not to stone her, they would accuse him of going against the law of Moses. And they would say he was trying to project an authority of control above the law and the prophets. And they would accuse him of ignoring offenses and letting things like this just go. So they thought they're so smart, they backed him into a corner, it's either or. And I love it in scripture when Jesus gets backed in a corner. Love it. It is incredible what happens. Because when they force Jesus into an either or situation, he has a third option. And can we just pause and think about that for a second? Do you realize that we are either or people? We often get stuck in this either or thinking, it has to be this or this. It's all this or all this. We serve a God of the third option. He always has another perspective. He has a new way of showing us things. He has truth for us that often we can't see in our human either or. Jesus is saying, I represent the God of the third option and I'm going to show you now what that is. He did not get backed into corner. Instead, he does not disagree that her sin has consequences. He didn't disagree with that at all. And he appealed to the conscience and the motives of the scribes and Pharisees, questioning, do you really wanna be the prosecutor, executioner of her while you're ignoring your own stuff, your own internal stuff? This, in, in my Bible, the caption at the top calls it the woman caught in adultery. And sometimes I hate these captions because they get us focused on her when this story is about every single person who was around Jesus. It was about every scribe and Pharisee and the woman. He addressed everyone. All players were key, not just one or some of them. Now, so we know why they were trying to back him in a corner and they, they didn't succeed in that. But then we have this really unusual thing Jesus did where he bent down and he wrote it with his finger on the ground. Kind of strange. Now, I, I mean, we have not had Jesus like tell us exactly why he did that. That'd be a great question in heaven. But there's a lot of research. I was doing this research on, on this and some different theologians have a really good idea of maybe why. And I wanna share that with you. So the Feast of Tabernacles that, that all the Jews would have celebrated had just ended in chapter seven. We're reading the beginning of chapter eight, chapter seven of John, the Feast of Tabernacles had just ended. And, uh, and on the last day, of that feast, Jesus had cried out in a loud voice. This is in John 7, 37, 38. He said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. The scribes and Pharisees just heard him say this, just heard him say, I am the living water. If you come to me, that's what will flow out of you. This is who I am. Now, not only did they hear him say that, but prior to the Feast of Tabernacles was the, the, another festival called Yom Kippur. 
And this was celebrated in very close proximity timeline to the Feast of Tabernacles. And at the very end of Yom Kippur, the the scribes and Pharisees would have heard this passage in Jeremiah 17, verse 13. It would have been declared over them. So Jesus has just proclaimed, I am this living water. If you come to me, that was what will flow out of you. And they would have just heard Jeremiah 17, 13, which says, O hope of Israel, O Lord, All who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be recorded in the underworld or the dust, for they have forsaken the fountain of living water, the Lord. Do you hear the similarities? Jesus just declared on living water because he knew they had heard that this, this passage in Jeremiah that says, if you turn away, from him, your name will be recorded in the dust, for you have forsaken the fountain of living water, the Lord. In addition to this, the scribes and Pharisees also knew that according to Old Testament oral law of God, it was, it was said when someone was accused and brought, um, brought to court in a sense that the, the, acu- or the person kind of looking at the situation would write the name of the accused and the law they had broken in the dust. That was what they did, it was tradition. And could it just be that these scribes and Pharisees who brought this woman and are trying to deflect attention away from them to her saying, hey, can we look at her? Look how bad she is. Look at what she has done. That Jesus bent down. He did not react. He didn't get all up in arms. He just bent down. And because he knew what would speak to them, began to write their names and the things they had done in the dust without being condemning, but just simply being real with them to bring their attention to the things that they had also done. Could it be that that is what he was doing? It's interesting that they left after he bent down in the sand and said, well, whoever's thrown the first stone, you know, you can, you can start, or whoever's never sinned can throw the first stone. And they went away because perhaps there had been conviction. What was Jesus trying to communicate to the scribes and the Pharisees over here and to this woman over here? Remember, he was speaking to everyone present. No one left without him speaking directly to them. He didn't let the scribes and Pharisees off the hook, right? He said, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, the scribes and Pharisees, uh, this, this new way of, of relating to God that Jesus was teaching was really new to them. And it was a stretch for them. They were, lived under a religion that they had to follow 613 laws. Can you imagine if we had to keep all these straight? Whew. I mean, 613 laws, this is what they had to do. Um, and they thought, I get in with God on good behavior. Like if I do all this, then I'm, I'm good, I'm good. I, get, I can get in. And so they were all about, I need to present this and I gotta look like this and it's gotta be seen like this so that I get in good with God. Jesus, on the other hand, he taught a religion of grace and forgiveness and changed living not perfectionism, 
The scribes and Pharisees could have been under this mindset of if I'm not perfect, if somebody, if he, if he reveals in the dust what I have done, what I am guilty of, then I won't be seen as perfect and that will be, that will ruin everything. And so they could not handle this conviction. In fact, they wanted to deflect it. Whatever Jesus, how he had been teaching, the things he had been confronting them on, they, they couldn't stand under it. And so they had to bring somebody else to his presence, say, but look what she did. Let's get the focus off of us and onto her. They deflected, they, they used defensiveness to um, ignore any conviction that they needed to deal with. So that's the scribes and Pharisees and what was Jesus communicating to the woman? He didn't let her off the hook either. He said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and from now on, do not sin again. Now, the woman could have, once the Pharisees left and Jesus had kind of confronted them and they were like, they went away because they couldn't deal with his presence. She could have been like, whew, Jesus, thank you. <laughs> you saved me there. Like, aren't they awful? Like, they're terrible. We should, I, you need to set them straight. She could have deflected this right back to them and said, yeah, see how bad they are? They're awful. Thank you, Jesus. You saved my life. Like, I'll see you later. She could have left that way. But that is not what Jesus did. He didn't side with her and he didn't give her a pass either. He said to her, I don't condemn you, but what is best for you is to go and do this no more. This is what I want for you. Forgiveness doesn't mean tolerance. To forgive doesn't mean it's just okay. Jesus wasn't making okay her behavior but he was confronting it. It's as if he communicated, I'm not gonna pass a final judgment right now. Go and prove you can live differently. William Barclay, I love his writing. He said, Jesus was less interested in what a person had been and far more interested in what a person could be. And I think he meant that not just for the woman, but for the scribes and Pharisees. Any confrontation he had with them, any conviction, whether he was writing it in the dust for the scribes and Pharisees or he was addressing it with the woman, it was all because he said, I know who you all can be. And this is not it. This is not my best for you. I love you too much not to call you out on your stuff. Because if I don't say anything, you'll just keep going. The scribes, you'll just keep going in your way. And this woman, you'll go on in your way and you will keep living apart from me. And so he had loving conviction for all of them. He did not let deflection or defensiveness or shifting blame come between him and all of those around him because he loved them too much to not invite them into an opportunity for honesty, for repentance, for grace, for forgiveness, and a new way of living. You know, in our, our house, we've talked about guilt before. I don't like to feel guilty, it's, it's not a fun feeling. But one of the gifts of guilt is that if 
when we feel it, we tend to not do that again, right? If we didn't feel guilty for anything we did and we didn't have that oh, angst in us a little bit when we're convicted in something, we just keep doing it. There'd be no life change. Guilt is God's loving conviction over us that says, oh, this is not the way. This is not my best for you. This is going to hinder our relationship and your relationship with others. Would you allow me to speak truth into you and would you not become so defensive that you don't hear it? Well, I want you to think about, uh, I'm gonna read you some descriptions of defensiveness. And as I do, I want you to think a bit about defensiveness in light of your relationship with God. So John Gottman says, defensiveness is righteous indignation or innocent victimhood in an attempt to ward off a perceived attack or confrontation. Do we ever get righteously indignant when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about something that needs to change in us because we just don't wanna deal with being confronted? Here's another one. Defensiveness is a coping strategy where we attack another person in order to shift focus away from our own faults and insecurities. Have you ever thought of defensiveness as a coping strategy? We don't wanna change. We don't wanna have to deal with our stuff. So as long as we can attack somebody else or shift it away, then we feel okay in some way. Being defensive blocks connection, compassion, and isolates you from meaningful relationships. Now think about this in your relationship with God. If defensiveness becomes our normal reaction when the Holy Spirit convicts us, it blocks our connection with him. It blocks the compassionate way in which we live him in this world to others, and it isolates us from what he intended to be a meaningful, life-changing relationship with him. So how does this defensiveness come up for us? Well, it's when we bring up another person's past to get the focus off our present behavior, right? Yeah, have you ever done this? Like, well, do you remember what you did? Like, let's not talk about me right now. Let's talk about what you did in the past. It's shifting blame to another for the same thing that you're being called out for. It's making excuses or making yourself seem better than. For instance, saying, I work hard for my family, so I shouldn't be called out on this issue. It's, it's trying to just look at how good I am. I sh don't even talk to me about this. It's imperfectionism. It's when we have to live so perfect that there's no room for the Holy Spirit to change us. It is in minimizing our, our own fault by seeking to maximize somebody else's. Let's make it about them, not me. And sometimes it's when we accuse a group of people, even the church, and, and minimize our need for change. If until they get it right, I'm not gonna change. I'm not, I don't have to deal with my stuff. They're the bigger picture. And so we minimize what the Holy Spirit is and it hurts our relationship with God and with others. So in the Gottman research, they have these, these four horsemen, um, uh, those, those, uh, those criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling, and he has antidotes for each one. And we're, we're just focusing on defensiveness this morning. And the antidote to defensiveness is to take responsibility. It is to respond by saying, you're right, I did that, I'm sorry. Let me think on that, I hadn't seen it that way. I didn't realize I was coming across that way. Lord, change me first before I bring somebody else to you. 
and it requires humility and honesty. Here's a couple sentences from psychology today that really speak to this defensiveness. And again, keep thinking about your walk with the Lord. Denying, rationalizing, and justifying are unethical, inconsiderate, or immoral behavior, poor choices, failures, and poor performance is a balm for wounded egos, and it tries to protect our self-esteem. But our relationships are often better and our performance higher when we resist our defensiveness long enough to take our share of the responsibility and make needed changes. Defensiveness isn't only an enemy of personal growth and success, it's an enemy of close relationships. If defensiveness is that severe to be an enemy of close relationships, This is something that I think the Holy Spirit says, you've got to lay down defensiveness because it is is hindering our relationship with the Father, which then overflows into our relationships with everyone else around us. This is what Jesus is addressing to everyone present. I think there's something else interesting in this story, and it's what does our defensiveness or us deflecting really say about what we believe about Jesus? See, the scribes and Pharisees, they were full of probably embarrassed, ashamed, like stop writing in the dust, right? Don't put my name there. Don't say what I did. Don't call me out on my stuff. And so they they believe Jesus is, are you condemning? Are you a condemner? Are you like harsh? Like what, who are you? I don't like this. I'm not okay with this. I'm not willing to humble myself to say, yeah, you know what, Jesus, you're absolutely right. That is my stuff and I'll own that. They weren't willing to do that because they didn't believe that Jesus was coming from a motive of love. But then we see this woman, this woman who was brought to Jesus and and just humiliated in front of everyone. And when everyone had left around Jesus, it was just her and him. She could have just bolted. She absolutely could have just run away thinking, okay, well, nobody's seeing Jesus right in the dust. I guess I'll go, you know, like she could have just run out of there to get out of this situation, but she stayed. She stayed there. And when he said, has anyone condemned you? And she said, no, she still didn't go. She stood there and he said, then neither do I, but go and sin no more. She remained in his presence, even though it was uncomfortable for her. She, something in her believed that this man in front of her, Jesus, was coming and confronting and convicting her out of a heart that loved her and wanted what was best for her. And he was calling her into a life change, a new way of living. The Pharisees wished to condemn. Jesus wanted to forgive, not just the woman. He wanted to forgive the scribes and Pharisees. He wanted a relationship with them too. He offered it to everyone in his presence that day with a motive of love. You know, scripture is really fantastic to read until you actually have to apply it to your life. Do you know that? Uh, So I was reading this and I was reminded of early in Bradley's and my marriage, uh, early on, I, I think I just absolutely embodied this passage because I, one point I came to the Lord and said, okay, Lord, if you could just tweak a few things in Bradley, I think we'd do, be doing great. 
You know, like, I, it's like I brought him to Jesus and said, can you just look at his stuff? Like, he's got some stuff. I need you to fix a few things, and then we'll be doing great. And the, the response that I got from the Holy Spirit was not really what I was going for. Um, I was really going for him to be like, yeah, you're right, Carrie. I will go to work on this. You know, like, that's what I was hoping. That's not what I got. Uh, the Holy Spirit very clearly said, Carrie, I made Bradley. I know him more than you do. I'm gonna take care of that. In the meantime, the best thing we can do is start working on you. And I was just, excuse me? <laughs> I don't think that's what we need to do. <laughs> like, this was uncomfortable. I was not okay with this response. But it was, I had, I had an option in this moment. I brought who I thought, like, look at his stuff. Let's not look at me, look at his stuff. And the Holy Spirit said, I need to write some stuff of yours in the dust, Carrie, because you're not seeing it. You're not seeing it. And I had this option where I could keep deflecting, keep defending myself, or I could listen to the Holy Spirit and say, all right, let's go to work. I will humble myself before you. What do you need to change in me? And let me tell you, there were some stuff. There were things that I had to change. And they had to change in me so that my relationship with the Lord was right, which then flowed out into my relationship with Bradley so that that was right as well. That we do this a lot, we bring people to Jesus and we want him to take a look at them and fix them. But we don't humble ourselves to say, I will not be defensive, I will stand here even if it's uncomfortable and I will allow you to speak what you need to speak to my heart. Has the Holy Spirit been convicting or confronting you? Do you believe he does that out of love and he has your best in mind because he wants a relationship with you and he wants your relationships with others to be good. Have you been defending or deflecting his conviction or his confrontation? Are you blaming others who have done something worse than you, in your opinion, or blaming someone else's rationalization to keep doing what you're doing? How might Jesus be removing those options and giving you, it's not either or, it's this, let me change you. Is there something he keeps writing in the dust, but you keep deflecting or ignoring? You know, one of the things I love is that uh, when it talks about writing in the dust, the passages that Jesus could have been drawing on in the minds of the scribes and Pharisees is the fact that he is living water. Do you realize that water wipes out dust? Praise God. He's saying, if you will see this, I will wipe it out. If you will admit it and not be defensive, own it. I will forgive you, it will be wiped. I am living water and that will flow through you. Who do you keep bringing to Jesus to accuse, but ignoring what he might be saying to you? Is there something keeping you from living in a new way? Do you need to lay down pride or embarrassment or perfection to take responsibility for your own stuff before Jesus today so your relationship with him and with others can be healthy. This is his desire for us. He speaks to everyone around him and he invites us to humbly respond rather than become defensive. I'm gonna close in prayer, but as I do, if there is something that the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind this morning, there certainly is in my life. This has been a tough one to read because I have to go, I have to look, I have to stand before my Savior and say, what do I need to change? If there's something, would you stay in his presence this morning?
You can do that from your seat. Would you remain there instead of deflecting, instead of becoming defensive or hurrying out? Would you stay in his presence like the woman showed us? What is it that you need to go and do no more? What is it he's saying? I need you to own it. Go do it no more. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. Jesus, I thank you that you are the God of the third option, that you cannot be backed into a corner, but you have a way of speaking truth. God, I thank you that in this story, you did not speak to one person or one group of people. You spoke to everyone involved because you loved everyone around you so much that you had to speak your truth. Father, I pray that we might respond differently than the scribes and Pharisees who when confronted, when convicted, when they saw what they had done or what, who, who they were or what they were involved in, Father, they, they went away and they kept trying to deflect it. Father, would we not leave your presence? Would we watch what the woman did who was brought to you in such an unfair way? but out of your love for her, you didn't lose the opportunity to speak truth to her as well. Father, would we respond like her and remain in your presence, hear your motive of love and go and sin no more. Father, would we be a people who live out of a healthy relationship with you and healthy relationships with others? Would you forgive us for our defensiveness? Would you develop humility in us and the courage to remain in your presence so that we become more and more like you. Thank you for your incredible love for us. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.